Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on that which does not satisfy? Listen to me. Listen to me and see what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the people, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations that you know not, and nations that do not know you will listen to will hasten to you. Because the Lord your the, because the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts and let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. And the second reading comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, and you'll find that on page 1011 of the Pew Bibles. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people, for they have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they said. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples so as to set to set before the people. And they did so. They had a few, sorry, a few small fish with them. And he gave thanks for them also. And he told the disciples to distribute them. The people were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples 
and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Thank you very much indeed, Peter, for reading for us. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's great to see you uh, here. Please, would you keep your Bibles open at Mark chapter 8, page 1011. Uh, we'll be looking that over the, at that over the next few minutes. You may also like to have um, the back page of the service sheet within sight. Uh, that's got a, a, an outline of uh, where we're going in the next few minutes uh, there as well. But um, as we come to God's word, let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we echo that prayer that we just sang, that you would over these next few minutes show us Christ and that you would reveal to us his glory through the preaching of your word until each of our hearts confesses that he is indeed our Lord. Amen. Well, I'm very happy to say that my wife is an excellent cook, and I'm not saying that uh, just because she's in the room, she isn't, Um, but she is a really excellent cook. I'm very grateful for her cooking day after day, I'm looking forward to it in an hour or so, and um, uh, there is a but, (laughs) which um, it's a good thing she isn't here, because um, the but is um, that when it comes to puddings, mm, not so much. Um, she's not so great with the puddings. And the reason for that is because um, she doesn't have a sweet tooth, and I do, so I don't blame her, but uh, there we go. And so uh, often this thing happens in our house after dinner, and it happened last night, actually, that after dinner I find myself standing in the kitchen looking into the fridge uh, for something else to eat, and I'm usually staring at the yogurt or an unripe banana. And uh, then she comes by and says, what are you looking for? And I say, I'm not sure, I just, just want something, something else. And uh, normally I then go over to a, a cupboard and look in there for a while and then another cupboard and end up back in front of the fridge reconsidering that yogurt again. Um, I know I want something. I'm just not sure what I'm looking for um, or that I'm even looking in the right place. Perhaps you can relate to that kind of feeling. And perhaps you can relate to that kind of feeling at, at a deeper level as well. Another kind of hunger for something more from life. You might not be sure quite what it is that you're looking for or even that you've been looking in the right places, but you just know there's something more and so you keep looking, hoping that that something will turn up. Feeling like that isn't something new and in Mark chapter eight, we're shown a hungry crowd who seem to think that that something might have just turned up and that actually it's a someone And in him, they find someone who sees their need and satisfies it as only he can. Jesus, of course, is that one who sees and satisfies the hunger of the world. Take a look down at verse one of chapter eight. It says this, during those days, another large crowd gathered. Now, during this point in Jesus' ministry, he just was gathering large crowds. That wasn't unusual. But there's something different about this one. In the last two sections of Mark's gospel that we've been looking at over the last two weeks, the Syrophoenician woman and then the healing of the deaf and mute man, in both of those accounts, we've been in a Gentile area. A Gentile being anyone who's not a Jew. In Jewish thinking, there were the Jews and then there was the rest of the world who they called Gentiles. In those previous accounts, Jesus was in Gentile territory. He was outside of Israel, across the border, And this crowd gathered, verse 1, during those days. So this crowd is a Gentile crowd. There'll probably be some Jews mixed in there as well because they were near the border, but mainly it's a Gentile crowd. 
And so as we imagine this crowd swarming across the landscape towards Jesus, it is a picture for us of the whole world gathering towards Jesus. Back in chapter 6 of Mark's gospel, there's an account of the feeding of the 5,000, which is strikingly similar to this account. But the difference there is that it happened on, on Jewish territory. The difference now is the crowd. They're not just Jews, they're Gentiles too. And so this serves as a picture of the whole world gathering to Jesus' feet. And they're hungry. Do you see that, verse 1? It goes on, since they had nothing to eat. So they're a hungry crowd. But the really fascinating thing is the reason that they're hungry. Take a look again at verse 1 and following. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And then in verse 4, the disciples say, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Do you see the reason that they're hungry? They've been with Jesus three days. They were in a remote place in the middle of nowhere, and now they've run out of food. Now, that isn't the sort of detail that we're supposed to skip over without giving it a few moments' thought, because it tells us something really important about this crowd. Why did they come to Jesus? Well, I guess there could have been a lot of different reasons that people came. At the end of chapter 7, Jesus has just performed an amazing miracle, the healing of the deaf and mute man. And then we read there in verse 36 that after this miracle, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. So you see, news had spread about Jesus and a crowd had gathered. That explains why they came, perhaps. But not why they stayed for three days That is an extraordinary level of commitment. Why did they stay? Now, there's no indication that he was performing dazzling miracles that might have kept them all entertained. Last week, we saw that when he healed the deaf and mute man, he made a point of taking him away from the crowd. And as we'll see next week, Jesus didn't do miracles as performances for people who wanted a good show. Instead, we know his normal practice was to teach people. In chapter 10, verse 1, It says there, again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. And this is what happened as well at the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6. It says there, when Jesus saw a large crowd, he began teaching them many things. That's what Jesus did when a crowd gathered, he taught them. And so we can assume that that's what he's doing for this one too. People might have come for all sorts of reasons, but why did they stay for three days? More than that, they were three days during which these people will have seen their picnic baskets getting emptier and emptier. Every time they reached down to get another bite to eat, they would have seen their supplies were running lower. And with no shops in sight, there was nowhere to get more, but they stayed. They would have thought to themselves, I imagine they would have said to themselves, um, shouldn't we maybe think about heading home or we're going to be stuck out here with nothing to eat? But they stayed. And they stayed until their food had run out completely and they were hungry again. Why did they stay? They stayed because these people were feeling two kinds of hunger. And rather than feeding their appetite for food, they chose instead to feed their growing hunger for Jesus. 
As they sat there and listened to Jesus teach them, there was something about him that made them ignore their rumbling tummies and stay. Who knows why they came, but they can have only stayed for Jesus. They might not have been able to put it into words, but at the very least, there was something about him that fascinated them, that intrigued them and made them want to stay. And as they listened, a growing hunger for him outstripped their appetite for food. Who knows why they came, but they stayed for Jesus. And as he looked out at this crowd, Jesus sees the hunger of the world before him. Not just a physical hunger, but that deeper hunger too. The hunger that compelled them to stay when other appetites might have drawn them away. And verse 2, he says, I have compassion for these people. People who are looking for something. They know not what, but something more. He looks on them with love and compassion. It's what he was like then. It's what he's like still today. He sees our hunger and he's moved by compassion for us. But Jesus doesn't just see. He also satisfies our hunger. Jesus has told his disciples the problem, a hungry crowd, a long way from home, no food, danger of collapse, And in verse 4, it seems that the disciples can't think of a solution to this. Take a look down at verse 4. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can we get enough, can anyone get enough bread to, to feed them? Literally, enough bread to satisfy them. You can almost imagine the crowd at this point looking beyond, um, sorry, the disciples at this point, looking beyond the crowd into the empty surroundings, asking themselves, from where? From where can we get enough to satisfy all these people? And that question is very telling because recently Jesus has fed a crowd of 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. And so if I had been in Jesus' place, I would have feeling, been feeling a little bit kind of sarcastic towards the disciples at this point. Or he's saying, oh yeah, 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 cracking question, guys. Yeah, where could we possibly get enough food to feed this crowd? I just mm, think, think, think. I don't know, I don't know. Where could we? Anyone else getting deja vu? No, just me then. Okay, all right, guys. They're looking around for some source to satisfy the crowd when the obvious answer is right there next to them. It's Jesus. Of course it's Jesus. Now the disciples can't have actually forgotten the feeding of the 5,000. How could they? But clearly it hadn't changed their view of Jesus in the way it was supposed to have done. One of the big questions that Mark's gospel is answering is who is Jesus? Mark's been revealing his identity through the first half of the book, but the disciples won't confidently grasp who Jesus is until later in chapter 8. And so what Mark's showing us in chapters 7 and 8 is the slowness of the disciples to see and remember and understand and make sense of all they've been witnessing and the implications for who Jesus is. We'll see this more next week, but the dullness of the disciples stops them looking instinctively to Jesus to provide food for the crowd, as they would have done if they had understood who he was. They're so dull, so slow to turn to Jesus to provide. Once or twice I've had this experience of turning up at a, a, a cafe or a restaurant I haven't been to before and I'm just making my way to uh, my seat and I just notice in the edge of my vision over there in the next room of the cafe there's someone else also just about to take a seat at a table and then I do a double take and I realise it's not another room and it's not someone else, there's just a big mirror there and I thought I was looking at someone else but actually um, it was really me. 
It's a kind of strange feeling when you realize that you're looking at yourself the whole time. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I get that kind of feeling. I think I'm looking at someone else, and in a sense I am, but then I realize I'm also really looking at myself. The disciples are so dull, so slow to turn to Jesus to provide, even though he's done it before. But truth be told, so am I. Maybe you can see that in yourself as well. The things that are burdening me, weighing upon my mind, keeping me up, stressing me out, I try to bury them in all sorts of distractions like TV or having a snack or having a drink or buying something shiny and new or going for a run, anything, anything to distract myself from those things. I either do that or I try to fix these problems, doing everything I can to deal with them myself, but my instinct isn't to come to Jesus. I look around stupidly at all these other things thinking from where am I going to get help with the problems of life while all the while I fail to turn to Jesus. Of course I should ask Jesus. It's not that Jesus will snap his fingers and fix every problem, but he can give me the resources I need to get through any situation. What is weighing heavy on your heart or on your mind at the moment? Have you taken it to Jesus in prayer? If you have, great. But if the answer is no, turn to Jesus. We all need to learn to be much quicker to turn to Jesus. He might not give you what you want in every situation, but he can give you all that you need. The disciples asked, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to satisfy them? And Jesus, rather than tell them the answer, patiently shows them the answer once again. Take a look down at verse five. How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Now, it must have been amazing to be one of Jesus' disciples on that day, mustn't it? To be passing around the food and handing it down, and every time you look up and back down again, there's more in the basket, and you just keep handing it out, and it keeps coming, and you don't know where from. Now, of course, we don't know the exact details about how this miracle happened or what we would have exactly seen if we had been there, but one way or another, the disciples find themselves with enough food to feed 4,000 people. And then some as well. Look down at verse eight. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. There was loads, plenty for everyone. Now, perhaps there are some here this morning who are uh, hearing that and thinking, come on, really? This is just nonsense, isn't it? Maybe that's sometimes how you feel when you hear uh, a description of the miracles that the Bible tells us about. And if that's the case, I'm very conscious that this sort of an account could be pushing all your buttons right now. Uh, If you're feeling like that, then I'd sympathize. And I want to say that next week we are going to be exploring that issue um, much more carefully. And so I hope that you'll come back um, for that, or if you can't, that you'll listen online. But for now, this is the climax of the account. Jesus saw the hunger of the crowd. He had compassion on them. The question was raised from where can anyone get enough bread to satisfy them? And the answer is Jesus. Verse eight, the people ate and were satisfied. From where? From Jesus' hands. Jesus satisfies. 
And it's the climax of the account because of what it shows us about Jesus, who he is and why he came. First, it shows us that he's God. Now, that might seem incredibly obvious. And in a sense, it is. This miracle in itself is enough to show us that Jesus is God. But there's even more because this scene mirrors one um, where God fed his people in the desert in the book of Exodus just after they had escaped from Egypt. There they were in the desert, hungry, and God miraculously provided bread. And here Jesus is in a remote place, literally a desert, with a hungry crowd, and he does the same. You see, it's not just the fact of the miracle, but it's the nature of the miracle that points to Jesus being God, standing there among this crowd. Second, it shows us that not only is he God, but he's God come for the whole world. You see, in Exodus, God provided food for the Jews. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus provided food for the Jews. But here, we have a Gentile crowd, and Jesus does the same. And it shows us that he's come for the whole world. Jesus came not for some, but for all. And that's great news because it means he came for you and me as well. He's God come for the whole world. And thirdly, he came to abundantly satisfy. Everyone was satisfied with basketfuls left over. No one walked away with a rumbling tummy. Others could have been there and there would have been enough. You see, he came for you and me and there's enough for you and me and for anyone else who will come. But of course, the hunger that Jesus came to satisfy wasn't a physical one for food. That's the hunger he saw and satisfied here, but it's meant to point us to the much bigger, greater reality of what Jesus came to do. What did Jesus come to do? Well, the answer to that is unraveled as we keep going through Mark's gospel. But from the lips of Jesus in chapter 10, verse 45, he said, the son of man, that's a name he used for himself, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's why the climax, not of this passage, but of the whole of Mark's gospel was when he satisfied that greatest need of ours for a ransom to be paid. He gave his life as a ransom to buy our freedom when he died on the cross. We saw three weeks ago in chapter seven that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. In chapter seven, verse 20, Jesus said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. You see, we have sin-filled hearts that put us at odds with God and we cannot change them. And so we are prisoners to them. But Jesus came as a ransom to free us prisoners from the guilt of sin. And on the cross, his blood paid the price so we could be freed and forgiven if we put our trust in him. That's the need he came to satisfy. Back in 2008, my friend 
John and I set out to cycle from the northernmost point in France to the southernmost point, which is roughly speaking Dunkirk down to the Spanish border. And we got off to a good start, uh, but after a while I started getting more and more um, flat tyres on my front wheel. And um, uh, it was fine to begin with, we had spares obviously, but it wasn't until I was on my last one that we worked out the cause of the problem. There was uh, something on the inside of the tyre that as we were going round and round, it was, it was scoring a line in the inner tube that eventually split and it made the inner tubes impossible um, to repair. And uh, so it was then when we were cycling down this um, long steep hill um, somewhere in southern France that I heard it go and and then rumble, 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 rumble. And I called to my friend John, stop, and we had to pull over to the side of the road and get onto the grass. And we sat down there feeling very miserable. And uh, we looked around, there was nothing in sight, uh, not a building, not a person, not a car, anything. And then it slowly began to dawn on us just how bad a situation we were in. It was uh, getting on to the end of Saturday afternoon. The shops would be closing uh, soon, even if we could get to one. Um, and then the next day is Sunday, so the shops are going to be closed. And Monday was a bank holiday, so the shops are going to be closed then as well. And so we were looking at two days where we would be unable to do any cycling. And on a strict kind of schedule, it looked like our whole uh, trip was in jeopardy and we were going to have to cancel it. And so we sat there on the grass, very fed up. And then it began to rain. <sighs> it couldn't really have got much worse. Anyway, after a few minutes of feeling very sorry for ourselves, we saw one lone cyclist just zipping down the hill towards us. And as he got closer, he slowed and stopped and got off his bike and walked over towards us and said something in French. And we responded like this. And so he knew that we were English, which <laughs> thankfully he spoke fluently. Um, so he asked us how we could help. We told him our problem. And wonderfully, he knew the area. And he said, well, just behind this, uh, this little uh, uh, group of trees, there's actually a little hamlet. And I know an English-speaking couple there. Um, so why don't I take you around? So he, he, he led us around. We all walked with our bikes. Um, and he knocked on the door. And sure enough, this couple were in. And they were lovely. And they welcomed us in, gave us something to drink, gave us Pringles to eat. Pringles have never tasted so good. Um, and um, wonderfully, we were just in time to see, um, it was the Olympics, to see um, the the men's 100-meter final, the only event I really care about at the Olympics. And um, that year, Usain Bolt broke the world record, so we were just in time for that. It was all perfect. And uh, then they drove us off to a shop. We bought about 10 inner tubes, um, came back, and uh, they sent us on our way, with the rest of the Pringles, of course. Um, it, was, it was in that hour and a half we went from such a low point to such a high point. And as I reflected on that whole um, incident, I was just so grateful that as that cyclist came down the hill, he saw us and he saw our need and he came over. And with the help of that other couple, they, they more than satisfied our need in a much more wonderful way. Jesus saw our great need, even if we hadn't seen it. And moved by compassion, he came down from heaven and abundantly satisfied our greatest need by dying on a cross. His death was, as somewhere it's beautifully put, a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world let me say that again, a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Jesus sees and satisfies the hunger of the world, providing for our greatest need, not for food, 
but for forgiveness. And when you felt that desperate need, the desperate need of your situation, and then you've known that abundant provision, it can only move you to thankfulness and love for the one who's made that provision. And that's what it does for us as we see that Jesus has done that for us by giving his life as a ransom. We've seen through uh, this miracle that Jesus is God, that he came for the whole world, including you and me, and that he came to abundantly satisfy that greatest need. But for just a few minutes, I want to draw out one particular line of application from these verses. Notice again who it was that was satisfied in this account. It wasn't simply those who came to Jesus. It was those who stayed, even when other appetites might have drawn them away, because they saw that Jesus was better. In a few weeks, we'll get to a verse where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. To follow Jesus will always come at a cost, It will mean leaving other things behind, but doing so gladly because we've seen that Jesus is worth infinitely more. Sometimes when I'm working in my study across the way and I need a little break, I go for a walk around the graveyard here and end up looking at um, the inscriptions on the headstones. And it's not unusual for uh, Christians to have um, some words on their headstone from Philippians 1.23, which says, with Christ, which is better by far. With Christ, which is better by far. This crowd, they chose to stay with Jesus because they were at least beginning to grasp the truth that to be with Jesus is better by far. That's the only reason anyone ever stays with Jesus. So Christians here, when you and I are sharing our faith with friends and family and colleagues, there's a danger of thinking people will follow Jesus because of, I don't know, the quality of the events that we put on here or the music or the size of the crowd, they won't. They might come for those reasons, but they won't stay. No one will follow Jesus denying themselves unless the Holy Spirit gives them such an appetite for Jesus that it overpowers every other appetite. Pray for that in your friends. Show people Jesus, that he is better, that he's worth leaving other things to have. Do that with your words and your example too. And pray for these friends that they would see Jesus and see him for the treasure that he is, a treasure beyond compare. And for ourselves, do you and I see that to be with Jesus is better by far? That even if we feel an appetite for things that we've had to leave behind to follow him, if we have Jesus, we have more than enough to satisfy our greatest needs. We sometimes sing here, Take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. And I'm so encouraged when I hear other Christians singing those words. But I'm even more encouraged when I see Christians here living those words. That is being obedient to Jesus, choosing to follow him even when it's costly. Maybe believing behind an ungodly relationship or a particular sin or starting to give generously to the mission of the church even though that means not having other things or standing up for Jesus in your workplace even though that means risking your reputation or even a promotion I am so grateful and I know many of your stories and how you're doing this and it's a great encouragement and inspiration to me to do the same 
In the months and years ahead, it may cost us dearly as a church and individually to stay with Jesus when other things might draw us away. But it's those who stay with Jesus who are satisfied. Take the world, but give me Jesus. May that be the song not just of our lips, but of our hearts as well. Finally, if you are here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or if you're not sure, let me say, if you ever find yourself metaphorically uh, looking into the fridge, looking for something, maybe you don't know what, or whether you've even been looking in the right places, have you ever seriously come and listened to the teaching of Jesus, what he says about you and your greatest need? You might think, yes, I've come. Okay, but have you stayed? Or have other appetites pulled you away? Pete mentioned it earlier in the service. Why don't you sign up to come on Tuesday night to Encounters? A great way to hear again and put yourself under the teaching of Jesus. Uh, You can dip your toes in the water on week one and just see whether it's for you or not. Um, And you don't have to come back. But why not consider doing that? You can sign up online. Um, As we finish, I want to finish with those words that we heard earlier in the service, read from Isaiah 55. And these words are an invitation to us from God. We read there, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and ye who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. If we come to Jesus and stay, then as someone once put it, we will find in him that for which we have all our lives been secretly longing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus, who saw and came to satisfy our greatest need. Give us such an appetite for him that we would always stay with him, whatever the cost, and know the satisfaction only he can bring. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.